0: Amen. Passage comes today to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You don't have your Bibles? Why don't you have your Bibles? You'll find it on the back of your bulletin outline. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. May God bless this reading of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have brought us here now. As the psalmist sung, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of our God. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his path. And the word of the Lord will go forth from Zion and from Jerusalem. And so you have gathered us here to teach us your word. What it is that you desire us us to know. Who it is that you desire us to see. We thank you, our great God, for making this happen, for quelling our sinfulness. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you just fix the attention of our hearts onto this word right now, so that we desire to see and hear nothing else, so that we are taught what you desire us to know. Show us Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our series in John chapter 5 and 6, a series that Pastor John has called Jesus Makes Us Mad, Then Jesus Makes Us Glad. And we see that in the the passage right before, he certainly got people really mad. So he told them that you think that you have eternal life. You even search through scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but you refuse to see that they are about me, Jesus Christ. And so, he ends that passage before saying, you know who is going to accuse you? It's not I, it is Moses. The one through whom God gave Israel the law. It is Moses who accuses them. And that if they believed Moses, they would believe Jesus. And now he shows how one greater than Moses has come. Now, he said this last month, that when you're reading the Gospel of John, Be thankful that there is a key, a legend to look, to understand how to read John's gospel. And that's John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John is saying that everything that I wrote is for you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and believe in Him. And even the signs, he said that there were so many signs that were done, he didn't capture them all. The signs that he did write about speak of this one truth. Now it's an interesting thing that John uses the word signs and not miracles. There is a Greek word for miracles. But John uses the word signs because he's saying that's what they are. A miracle is not the thing in itself. It points to something. Just like if you were on your way to Disney World, driving there. You wouldn't pull over at the first road sign that said, Orlando, Disney World, 500 miles away. You wouldn't say, get out, take a picture under that sign. We made it. Get in your cars and turn back around a sign points to where you need to go. And that's what these miracles, anytime a miracle is displayed in the Gospels, that's what it's for. And so today's message has three points. God's provision for His people, the shepherd who feeds the hungry, and the call to put your trust in Jesus, our Savior. Now this first point, God's provision for His people. You know, it's interesting that this feeding of the 5,000, it was probably many more than 5,000 because that was just counting the men, all right? So lots of times when you counted things in census and things back then, you counted it in, ter- in terms of military might, all right? That was just the the way that census were t- was taken. So it doesn't count how many wives and single women were there. doesn't count how many children. And, well, I mean... I was going to say maybe 20,000 people, but we know that people had more children back then. We had people like the generis' kick out children back then. So, in fact, even the generis' family of seven kids might be a little bit lacking in terms of, old, of uh, just New Testament time. So let's say ten. Ten kids walking around with you. So you're talking somewhere like 50,000 people Jesus might have fed. And it's the only miracle besides one other mentioned in all four Gospels. So there's something significant about this one. John's gospel is unique that it mentions the boy. And I've heard sermons, especially growing up, about the faithfulness of the boy and all of that, be like the boy. Honestly, it doesn't really say what the boy's role was, just that he had this little food, probably finger loaves of barley, right, and two sardines. Andrew might have just grabbed the boy by his ear or grabbed the basket from the boy. So it's not about the boy. It's about Jesus. So, but, food seems to be the first thing that we're seeing here, right? And food looms large in all of our minds, even in a place like America, in the 21st century, where so many of us seem to have no problem with food, never gone hungry. I mean, uh, let's see, I think last, or two nights ago, I forgot to eat, uh, feed Ethan dinner, and Kim came home, Did I feed Ethan dinner, and it's like, no, I thought you fed him before you left. And so I get yelled at. And then we look to see his plate, you know, and all food is gone. And I knew I'd left food. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together that I should feed him food that I'd left. But regardless, all the food was gone. We don't have pets. Ethan fed himself. Who's the good husband? Who's the responsible father? But even when it is plentiful, we think all the time about it. Food channels and cooking shows, I mean, just speak of this. And all the restaurants that are popping up. My brother opened his restaurant in Central Jersey yesterday, reopened it, all right? But back then, you're so poor, and any food that you make, that you get has to be food that you made or bought by doing something of value to someone else that you could get money from them to purchase food, and you couldn't get a lot. And so there was a struggle. It was a hard, scrabble existence that we are very unfamiliar with. And so if you were a good Jew, a good Jew sitting in the grass back then, and you saw this, you saw this amazing feeding, miraculous feeding, you would remember, you would think that, wow, this is like when Moses. You know, prayed to God and God gave manna from heaven. This is like that. And uh, just the worship team read the passage as John directed them to. It, exodus chapter 16 says this that after the great escape, that great exodus from Egypt, from the land of slavery, they got out. And about, it's about 30 days after. if we're counting the calendar correctly, it was about 30 days afterwards that Exodus 16 happened from the Red Sea crossing. Now, it's possible, I mean, just how much food can you carry with you, especially when you have to, you know, walk through a divided sea? I mean, how do you plan for that trip? Um, So 30 days, they might have just run out, they might have been out of food, without food for some time. And what do they do? Exodus 16 says that they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They grumbled in their hunger. Now the interesting thing here is that this was not a people that just had been freed from Egypt, just plundered their captors, just walked through the Red Sea miraculously this is also a people who had God with them. And I'm not speaking metaphorically. Do You know how God was actually with the Israelites back then? As a pillar of fire and of smoke. During the day, you can't really see a fire, right? But you see the black smoke coming up from it. And at night, what do you see when there's darkness all around? You see flame. And that is what Israel had. In fact, They knew when to get up and start walking when the pillar of fire got up and started moving. And they knew when to stop when the pillar of fire stopped. And that was representation of God being there in the midst of his people. So it's in the backdrop of gigantic pillar of fire and smoke that they're bringing this grumbling and what is their grumbling? Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord. So they're thinking back on the angel of death saying, hey, remember those good old days? A little hot. And, uh, and when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, as slaves, I can guarantee you that they did not eat from meat pots and eat bread to the full. So there's revisionist historianism going on here. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. But then God steps in. He says, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law. Or not and so we know what happened you heard it manna came down they said what is it in fact that became its name what is it manna creative and moses told them it's the bread that the lord has given you to eat as much as he can eat now then back then that manna was a sign of of something not just that god could provide but it was a sign of a greater need that the israelites had and how do we know this because in verse four god himself says that i will give them i will rain bread from heaven for you and you'll gather a portion so in the provision of this in me satisfying your hunger i am testing you saying that i may test them now, lots of us have a negative idea of tests, especially after this week with all the r- questions about whether to opt in or opt out of tests. Which one did you do? I don't care. So, But testing, all right? Testing gets a bad rap, but without testing, we do not grow. Without testing, we do not improve. We don't know where we're at. If you are exercising and you lift up a weight, that weight tests your muscle. And then that testing of the muscle, tiny tear, micro tears and then growth. Or another illustration, astronauts. You ever wonder why astronauts, after they spend like a year and a half in space, come? I don't know if anyone spent a year and a half, I mean, maybe some Russians, but you know, say a year, all right, comes down, why they have to be wheelchaired around? It's because their bones are brittle. You see, in zero gravity, what happens is that there is no load placed on your bones. And with no load, with no stress placed on your bones, it doesn't figure it needs what it needs to be bones, calcium. So it doesn't bring in. So you can take supplements. I'm sure astronauts were taking calcium supplements. But the bones just figure, not being tested, don't need it. Until they come back down to Earth, and they're like, you know, just, I don't, you know, these are strong, you know, Navy and Air Force pilots and astronauts and stuff, really physically fit people, and they're walking around like they're, I don't know, one-year-olds or, or 70-year-olds. The test of gravity keeps them healthy how much more this test what is Jesus, what is god testing the israelites with for he is testing them with what he knows they need what do they need it isn't manna cuz you know just that's going to come for 40 years it wasn't just release from physical slavery it wasn't just uh, being an independent nation they need to trust their God. That's the thing they need. Above everything else, all else, they need to trust their God. And he makes it so easy for them. He is literally in their midst. And he has rescued them with plagues and then Red Sea crossing. And then he has given them his law. and Then given food, manna from heaven and quails and springs of, from uh, rocks that springs flow out from. He's given them every reason to trust him. Because he knows that's what they need. He created them that way, to need, to trust him. Sadly, we know that when it's time for them to trust their God, they miserably fail. When they come to the promised land, to the border of the promised land that God had said, this is what I've rescued you for. This is the place that I've rescued you for and the place that I'm giving to you. All you have to do is trust me. Instead, they trusted their eyes, said, the fortress is too great, the people are too strong, there's just no way. And we see what happened. All of those who did not trust their God died in the wilderness. And that physical death in the wilderness speaks of a spiritual truth. You die when you don't trust God. You know, even the Sabbath restriction, because God gave manna for six days, but then the day before the Sabbath, he gave a double dump. The Bible doesn't say double dump, but it was more, all right? And because on the Sabbath, there was nothing. And he said, I'm going to give you more on the day before. Why? To trust me so that you don't have to go out and even gather. I don't know how much work it was to gather manna. I don't know how thick it was or thin it was. I don't know how much, how spread out it was. Maybe it was a full day's work. But God was sparing them that labor so that on the day of rest, they could rest and worship him. And yet still, some people went out in Sabbath to gather. The Sabbath restriction was about trusting God. Don't trust your labors. Trust me. And so God gave them their bread every day for 40 years. In fact, that's what the line from the Lord's Prayer is about, why we had it in our creed today. Not Don't forget our daily bread, God. Here's our our requisition for him now. It is us saying, we believe that you, O God, will give us what we need for this day. That's why we pray it. That we trust that he is giving us what we need, even in discomfort, even in hunger, even in hard times, that God is giving us what we need because what we truly need is Him. North Shore family, do you trust Jesus when you pray this, when you pray this for your children? And so we see that this backdrop, this miracle that Jesus has done What is a sign pointing to? Because now, the second point, we see the shepherd who feeds the hungry. And this is a little bit odd, right? Because you're saying, wait, there's no mention of sheep or shepherds here. You'll see. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus so concerned about feeding them food? Was that a real strong concern of his? Because this was the same Jesus who, at the beginning of his ministry, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, Matthew 4.1, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, at that point justifiably so. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it is not about feeding these people who at the longest went one one day without eating. Again, it's a sign. What is it a sign of? It's a sign of what Jesus came to do and their need. You see, in Mark chapter 6, which is the parallel passage to this, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, see, all these crowds heard what Jesus was doing and started running to get somewhere ahead of jesus probably to get a good seat right when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things they were like sheep without a shepherd and so he began to teach them that's what they what they needed in fact Deuteronomy 8.3, what Jesus quoted to, the Satan, to Satan was from Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you and let you hunger. This is Moses saying to the Israelites. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So to trust God's word. And how does John describe Jesus as the Logos, the Word of God. Now, sheep without a shepherd, that's actually a terrible thing. Sheep. You know, we've talked about how dumb sheep are. Let's talk about that again. All right, so they have no survival instinct whatsoever. All right, you can't, they, so wool, right? So they would think, oh, waterlogged. So can't, del- can't walk deep into rushing water. That would be bad. No, they'll walk right out into it, get waterlogged, get swept away, and die. Dead sheep. They have only teeth, and they're not sharp teeth, they're round, nubby teeth. On the bottom jaw, not even on the top, they can't even get a good like toddler's bite in. All right? So only teeth on the bottom, meant for doing a weak nub grab of, sh- of grass. So if a wolf comes, they can't defend themselves. Again, dead sheep. And even when it comes to food, they will literally eat and devour every last bit of food in a square in square miles to the point where it won't grow back again. Right? That's why you can't let sheep graze for too long in one spot. And then they won't know where to go afterwards for more food. There could be grass all over this stinking place, and they won't know to go over one hill to find another valley that they could decimate why you've never heard of that wild band of roving sheep coming and trashing that village and destroying and killing that man never happened sheep are helpless defenseless they need a shepherd but when jesus says he had compassion on them when the bible says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd it's actually a much more terrible thing than i just said He's quoting, he's thinking about Ezekiel 34, and a time when Israel was governed by terrible kings who worshipped other gods, by priests who accepted offerings and sacrifices and said, this is what we need, we're just, we're just a butchering shop, that's all we have to do, keep God on our side. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel, saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Every pastor and elder and teacher quakes when they hear words like this. You have to take it seriously. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep are scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth. With none to search or seek for them. And we know that this is the situation that Jesus encountered, that the religious leaders had reduced following God to a list of do's and don'ts, never once considering that it is trusting God and being in the relationship with him that he has ordained that life was about. And so Ezekiel continues, the Lord continues in Ezekiel, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. Oh yeah, this is a terrible thing. Shepherds don't slaughter the sheep while they're shepherding them. It's not what shepherds do. It's true that there is a time of the year where some sheep are taken and used for food, but most at night, sheep herders don't go, all right, Time to kick back. Let's go pick one from the herd and, you know, just have dinner. They don't do that. Because you're supposed to care for the sheep. Take care of them, the sick even, and the wounded. And God says, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord." I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Ezekiel 34 starts out terrible, but it ends wonderfully, that God himself will be our shepherd. And so Jesus, thinking of this, and Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Where is it that they were sitting down? There was much grass. And incidentally, for those of you who feel the arguments like the Bible is unreliable, that statement, much grass, the only reason you would know that there was much grass there is if there were eyewitnesses. Because in that time of year, or in that place, the grass is only there and green for a very short period of time. It's like living in the mountains. In fact, that's where they were, in the mountains. In Colorado, uh, where I graduated from, college. In May, they paint the grass green because it had already died a month before and turned brown. All right? Something like this tells you that you are an eyewitness. And so like a shepherd, he has them sit down in grass. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so Jesus, actually just a couple chapters after, will say in John chapter 10, verse 8, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, what is this miraculous feeding pointing to? What do they really need? They need to trust the shepherd. You see, sheep do have one survival skill, one thing going for them. They know the voice of their shepherd, and they follow. I mean, maybe not perfectly, so Psalm 23, the rod and the staff, sometimes you, you, know, you, you yank them back with one, and you hit them with the other to keep them on the path of life. Sheep survive by listening to their shepherd's voice, not portioning it out man shepherd thanks for the water because i still haven't figured that whole trick out like rushing water i mean who knew but i'm good on the food thing i'm a sheep commando i can go out and get my sheep i'll just come back for the watering gig makes no sense sheep are helpless and need their shepherd and only live by hearing their shepherd's voice and trusting Jesus is the shepherd who feeds the hungry. See, this, my friends, is a happy passage. This is a moment of self-revelation where Jesus is saying in his deeds, and the words will follow in the gospel, I am your good shepherd. The good shepherd has come. Trust me. Now, sadly, we're going to see next week that the people here didn't get it just like the Israelites in the wilderness with the manna didn't get it. And they had God with them, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. And these guys had literally had Jesus with them. And they still didn't get it. What were they coming for? What kind of bread were they looking for? Were they looking to be entertained? And there wasn't a lot of entertainment back then, really far from Rome, so no Colosseum action, no TV, no radio. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Someone's healing people. I mean, maybe, maybe there were some who had legitimate needs. The lame, the blind, the leprous, you know, just people coming to be healed. I would say that was a more legitimate need. But what were people coming for? They were coming to see these things or have these things done to them. They weren't coming knowing their need. But that's exactly what Jesus came to satisfy. So the Israelites didn't get it and the Jews didn't get it. How are we going to get it? How do we get it? Which brings us to our last point. Put your trust. This is a call to put your trust in Jesus, our Savior. See, this is Jesus we're talking about. If you're here today and you think Jesus is just a historical figure, I tell you that all the pastors and teachers in history put together are nothing compared to him. Many of you in here in this room have had a deep love for Jesus for a while because he has been the shepherd of your souls. But to all, Jesus has come. This is what is being presented to you this day. You know, how do we do this? That's the question, right? The Israelites messed up, even with the intimidating pillar of fire with them, and they could still, I don't know, I mean, it's just like, how do you complain if someone has like, just a flamethrower pointed at you? And the Jews messed up. How do you not believe what this guy's saying when he is doing these things that only God could do? How do we not mess this up when we don't have the benefit of a pillar of cloud and fire or Jesus in our midst? Did Jesus tell us to do something, to trust Him and give us no means to do it? Our Savior is not that cruel. You see, Jesus told His disciples, soon, I'm going to be taken from you. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm going to ascend. And the disciples said, would just, like, you know, reasonably say, No, that stinks. Jesus, don't leave. But he tells them, It's better for you that I leave. Because when I leave, I will send my Holy Spirit to you. See, and he told Doubting Thomas, the one guy, who, why wasn't he with the rest of the people when Jesus appeared? Who knows? But... He said, oh, I feel left out. I didn't get to see it, so I'm not going to believe until I can put my fingers in. And Jesus says, do it. He appears to him and says, do it. And the Bible doesn't say whether Thomas actually did it, but he did the right response, my Lord and my God. So he believed. But Jesus says, "You you believe because you see. Blessed are those, or more blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Now, some of you might have thought the way that I thought that, oh, I guess we're more blessed because we had to muster up more faith. We didn't get to see Jesus, so we have to faith harder, like faith is a verb. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that I am going up and sending down my Holy Spirit who will reside in your hearts. See, that's going to be the key difference. The pillar of fire is not out there. He's in here. The one who is feeding the hungry is not out there. He is in here. The Holy Spirit is resident in you, declares your heart His habitation, and He is the one giving you faith to turn to Jesus Christ and to trust Him with your whole life. Isn't our God good? He gives us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, what was the ultimate sign? I told you that there were two, two signs that all the gospel shared in common. It was this one and one other, and the other is the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. That was a sign, that great miracle where our Savior went to the cross to die for our sins and to give us his righteousness, not a fair trade. It is the cross where Jesus calls us to have faith in him, to trust him, where the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And it is at the cross that he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest rest from your desires, rest from your chasings, your deadly doings. We see Jesus is the ultimate provision that this giving of bread and fish pointed to. He came to give us Himself. So I ask you, where do you put your trust? You see, the world would have us put our trust in all these things that we can see, these things that we can touch, these things that we desire. For some, it might be just comfort. Some people, it might be security. Some people, it might be just the love of a man or a woman. Some people, children. Some people, just health and just uh, the avoidance of what's hard. And these are all good things, but we can put our trust in them and they become evil things because they take us away from the one, the only one who is worthy of our trust, the only one who can satisfy our deep need. to rescue us from our bondage of sin and death. But you know what? The other way is just as easy. You can make these hard things, these things, and they are hard things that we endure in this life. Jesus Christ said in this life there will be much trouble, much suffering. In fact, he even said he's the pattern for it. They persecuted me. They will persecute you. And Christians, God's followers, are persecuted all over the world by You know, weird to say it, by angry Buddhists, by ISIS here in America, with politicians. And then also with sickness, with disease, with the loss of loved ones, with injury, with pain. You know, those things too can be what you put your trust in. You can put your trust in these things saying that this is my identity, I am a sufferer, this is my life, it is pain. And it is hard. It's a miserable place to put your trust, but we still do it. But Jesus Christ says, put your trust in me. I am the one who came to set you free from all these good things and all these hard things. These things that we have There are signs, if we let them speak, that say that one greater than Moses has come, a true shepherd has come, one who truly feeds the hungry has come, the one who delivers people from slavery and bondage has come, and his name is Jesus. Isn't the food that he gives you far greater than anything your tongue can taste? Isn't the breath that he gives you sweeter than any air that you can breathe? Isn't the life he gives you greater than any sadness this world can put up against it? Put your trust in Jesus, our Savior, and come and feast on He who is the bread of life. Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus the Son. And Jesus, we thank you for being our good shepherd who comes not to feed on us, but to feed us with what we need for very life. We need Jesus for our work, our labor, cannot atone unless we are carried we are lost but this is your promise to us that you would in psalm 28 save your people and bless your heritage that you would be our shepherd and carry us forever we thank you our savior we thank you holy spirit for showing us that there is only one way to life and his name is jesus In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rise and let us sing this song.